let's have some fun. <clears throat> Enter. What's up, functional friends? Welcome back to the Holistic Savage podcast. I'm your host, your functional health bro, the original Holistic Savage, Brendan Vermeyer. We like to talk about all things functional health on this podcast, which I define functional health as really the sum of functional medicine, functional fitness, functional spirituality, and functional psychology. As far as I know, I coined those last two, and I'm still trying to get you know the functional psychology, functional spirituality caught on. Uh, but ultimately, all things functional health, holistic health, and you know, uh, I've really been wanting to drop the line. You can't spell functional without fun for a hot minute. And it really wasn't until I had the pleasure of being on the Funimism podcast that I got to throw that down as I had an amazing bro flow with my man, Paul Long, who's with me here today. And it's his birthday. So I would like to say happy birthday and give a warm welcome to my honored guest. Couldn't be more excited to have you with me today, Mr. Paul Long. What's good, man? Thanks, Brennan. It's all good, man. I'm chilling. It is my birthday. What better way? You said this early on before we started to spend my birthday than to talk about things that we're passionate about and potentially help one individual that may be going through the struggle and uh, identify how to have just a little more fun when you're challenged in your head. So uh, let's get it. The bro flow. You know, you said that you coined these phrases. Um, yours are far more eloquent than mine. I coined the phrase fundamism and I wasn't really thinking about marketing when I came up with it. It's taken a while to catch on brother. They're like, are you that fundamentalist? And I'm like, no, that is not me. <laughs> no, you, you got the wrong guy. The fun part. Yeah. The rest. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, man. And you know, it's, it's good. So kind of set the stage a little bit. I, uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea what people think of me anymore. And I, I, find myself caring less and less as time goes on. Um, but, you know, I, I will wholeheartedly say I used to be that guy that took myself too seriously, took life too seriously. Uh, and life is a, a very beautiful experience that we've all been really gifted with. Uh, and I think we really need to seek out the beauty in life and enjoy the experience. But life can get heavy. It can get tragic and sad and heavy and, and, and dark. Um, and so then that really kind of brings us to the chosen perspective or, or chosen outlook on life. And so as I've been aging, I've really been finding myself, I don't like taking myself that seriously. My, my work can sometimes feel a little uh, heavier, doom and gloom at times, um, especially when I'm riffing about the chronic disease pandemic and mental health crisis and all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm just a big kid inside. I think we're all just big kids. And certainly just looking at your setup and your vibe, it's like, ah, this, this guy knows what's up. And so, you know, when I started kind of thinking about this, you know, Alan Watts, actually, smart dude, that Alan Watts, he was always big on uh, talking about how ultimately it, it's all just play. All of these you know, as kids, we build sandcastles. As adults, we build empires. But at the end of the day, it's all just play. You know, the world is our sandbox and it's whatever we want it to be. And so I, I love this concept of, you know, you can't spell functional without fun. And I, I thought there would be no better way to explore that topic, explore that conversation than the, discussing it with the fun man himself. And so you, Paul, have actually built uh, not just a business, but a movement, a philosophy around fun. And I understand fun is an acronym. So uh, an acronym. 
So I'd love to hear you uh, open with kind of discussing what is the philosophy, the brand that is Fundamism, and, and if you can explain the acronym, and we'll just dive in. Well, first of all, you know the way to my heart. Um, you know, some people give roses. Some people give uh, chocolate-covered almonds. You, my friend, you build others up with compliments. So, uh, yes, Fundamism is uh, gravitating towards all that is fun in life. And you mentioned about your, your journey, your struggle, Brendan, about like going through challenging moments and really caring about what others thought. And you know, I, I, would, I would be lying to you if I said that there aren't times that go through my head where I'm, I'm not concerned about a judgment or what somebody else is thinking. And case in point, meeting you at the gym, dude, like I'm so pissed at myself that it took this long for me to, or you to, whoever initiated the conversation, because, you know, I'd often see you working out and throwing, picking things up and putting them down, as we talked about on the Fundamism podcast. And, you know, uh, you're, you're somewhat of an intimidating dude when you see you throwing around those weights. And so I don't know why I didn't talk to you, but I didn't. And then we talk and you have this magnetic personality and we have so much in common and you are literally the science and, and, and factual arguments for this fundamentalism philosophy or movement, to hear you call it. And I'm just so damn excited now to, to be able to really go more in-depth with you and talk about, talk about the parallels of, uh, of this holistic medicine approach and your savagery. Uh, and fundamentalism. So again, fundamentalism defined as the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. What do you do for fun, Brendan? What are some of the things that you do that make you smile, that that lifts you up when you're going through a tumultuous time in your day? I like picking things up, putting them down, like you said. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the science. I'm a big fan of tripping down existential rabbit holes with some introspective work. Yes. Uh, and otherwise, when I can have a, a deep, meaningful conversation, that is really fun, fulfilling to me. Uh, otherwise, I just I want to play some games. I want to yes. drink, be a basic white boy, drink some white claws, take a puff <laughs> or two of whatever's being passed around, play some bass, which is very hit or miss for me. <laughs> uh, you and I are going to get along just fine. <laughs> Um, everything you just said is what I call a fundamental, uh, a fundamental of a fun and optimistic lifestyle, if you will. So whether it's, uh, creating, uh, or being a part of amazing conversations and connections with others or going to the gym and working out, um, you know, being competitive, playing games, like you had mentioned, drinking a white claw or some, some great convo, passing something around to get you out of your head. All of these are brain pattern interrupts. And so it is my belief um, that nobody in this world truly wants to be miserable. We all have challenges in life. Uh, I myself went through the quarter life crisis and know lots of folks that uh, continuously struggle day to day. Hell, I struggle from day to day. But what I do and what I teach people to do is when you're going through those challenging moments, uh, when you're in your head and you're focusing on all the crap that's not working, go do something physically. And in that moment, go do something that is going to interrupt that negative brain pattern. Go do something that's going to make you smile. Go do something that's going to mitigate all of these challenges in your life and bring you to a place where you're more present and what is working. And that, my friend, is fundamentalism. So centered around this concept of fun, obviously, you mentioned 
Fun is not just a, a way of life, uh, an adjective to me or a verb or whatever the hell. I've, you know, I didn't study English. I'm just a speaker. Um, but fun's also an acronym to me. So the F, when we talk about introspection and something that you enjoy very much, uh, the F is your personal foundation. So everything that makes you you, your experiences in life, uh, your DNA, your personality style, your ability to communicate, your belief system, everything for which your experience was built upon is your foundation or the F in fun, your mentality. Are you a victim or are you a victor? The U is understanding others' perspectives, one that seems to be more and more challenging as uh, we grow further and further down the, uh, the rabbit hole of uh, advanced technology and social media. Understanding others' perspectives right now is, is imperative as we're consistently battling uh, mindset and, and uh, conversations about faith and about race and about politics or whatever the hell you're getting heated about, we don't always do such a great job of really hearing or listening to what others are saying because we're so quick with our belief system to interrupt their thoughts or interrupt their beliefs with our own. And so that, of course, is listening to respond and and, and not to understand. So the U of fun, understanding others' perspectives, we talked about F, of course, the foundation. The U is all about how do you create meaningful interactions? How do you ask questions and get people to think more about the things that lift them up as opposed to the things that tear them down? How do you show a genuine interest in others where people feel valued and that they matter in this world? So instead of talking about work, weather, and family, how do you talk about amazing things like what's the best concert you ever went to or uh, how much you got on that squat rack, bro? How's that make you feel? <laughs> you know, whatever it may be. And then, of course, the N in fun, uh, because without the N in fun, it's just F-U. The N in fun is next steps. So there's a lot of individuals in this planet, Brennan, you know, uh, especially in the consulting world or speaking world, and we're working hard and diligently to grow a brand and to help improve people and situations and experiences and mental health. And so we often talk about the what, right? We, we talk about, you know, if you just think positively or if you just gravitate more towards what lifts you up as opposed to the, the things that tear you down. If you just lift fundamentalism, you know, life would be better. But that's great. How do you do it? So the in and fun is the next steps. This is the really tactical uh, implementation strategy that we put together with one another to ensure that you understand what to do to improve your quality of life, not just at work, but at home. So <gasps> that's it, brother. That's pretty solid. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, it really impresses me and amazes me the, the, the layers of uh, what you've done with, I mean, the word fun and fundamism and the acronym because uh, just when I thought it couldn't get better and then it's like, oh, without the end, it's just an F you. And it's just like, <laughs> of, of course it is. Like, of course it is because it, it's just perfect that way. But I, I love that, you know, because, uh, man, today there's there's this uh, paralysis by analysis, information overload. And it seems like people, the masses have never kind of felt worse or more lost. And, and obviously there's so many reasons for that. Some of which we discussed on um, your show. So then it comes down to an operational system 
to, to get out of it. Right. And, and that's so hard. Right. And so, whereas, you know, my career is a little more focused on kind of the metabolic health side of it, or my friend, uh, Dr. Nicole is really big on, um, you know, inner child work and kind of transcending the ego, ego work. And then you're bringing the, the fun component and obviously all of it, you know, fuses together quite perfectly. And I love what you're saying of, you know, we have our, our foundation, whether that's our DNA or our core values, kind of everything in between. Um, and then, you know, of course, making sure we're not getting too caught up just in ourselves and our own point of view and, and too myopic of uh, let's think bigger than ourselves. Let's look outside. Let's zoom out. Right. We have to do that. Google Earth of zoom into our DNA, zoom out, see how we fit into the greater ecosystem or community around us. Um, but then next steps, like what is that next step? And something you said that really kind of pinged my attention, because I, I definitely left to my own devices, will get a little stuck in my head, get a little cerebral. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I see you over here, <clears throat> you know, fucking slicing <laughs> up watermelons <laughs> with a samurai sword. And I'm just like, this brother gets it, you know. What I, mean? <laughs> I don't um, know what he gets, but he gets it. He gets something. He gets something. You're asking the mailman. Have you ever seen a a guy swing a samurai sword like a baseball bat, chopping up some fruit? Um, that killed me though. But I liked what you called that of uh, like a, a brain pattern disruptor, right? Yep, a brain pattern interrupt. That, of course, if anybody's listening, um, those of you that are listening to the Holistic Savage podcast are typically individuals that care a great deal about spirituality and and mental health and. And all the goodness that can be if you allow it to be. So uh, in the mindfulness space, uh, fundamentalism is, is really outlined as a brain pattern interrupt. You know, these are, these are physical things that you can do to uh, get yourself out of that, that myopic approach and out of your head to see something different. And so, you know, what's interesting about what you just gave me credit for, uh, which I greatly appreciate, Brendan. Um, yeah, samurai swords. Uh, yeah, blowing up watermelons with rubber bands or M80s. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I do that people can't relate to. Sporting this gnarly mustache right now that's got all the gray in it and uh, an ode to uh, WrestleMania 4 when Hulk Hogan fought Ultimate Warrior on my shirt. Mm. People sometimes see me, Brendan, and they say, ugh. That's not me. Like I can never be me. If that's what fundamentalism is, then I, I don't want any part of it. This is the extreme version, right? This is the me version of fundamentalism. This is my fun. So my goal is not to define what fun looks like for people. It's to reveal the opportunity that others have to find their own fun and define it for themselves. And so with that, as you know, um, going out on the speaking circuit and helping organizations and individuals, Sometimes people need an example, right? They need a demonstration of what it looks like. And what's funny about that is that's a step in the skills transfer process that we could talk about a little deeper if so desired. But we often miss out on the opportunity of of demonstrating what it is success could potentially look like. We're great at explaining it. We're great at at, at telling folks to go do it. We're, we're great at giving people feedback or constructive criticism, but sometimes we're not so great at demonstrating what it could potentially look like. So when you say, you know, this guy's out there doing it and he's having fun, I've never done that. Hey guys. 
I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the Holistic Savage podcast. We on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show. This before, um, I want everybody to be fully aware that that my fun is a little out there, and I don't want anybody to be my like me. But there are things, these fundamentals, that everybody could relate to, like number ninety, the fundamental number ninety in the Fundamism book. Leverage your creativity to make up a story to tell your children or spouse. Now, just to take a step back, I'm talking a whole lot, Brendan. Uh, before I give you an example of what that looks like. I'm going to turn it back to you. What are your thoughts on what I'm saying? Well, I like what you're saying, uh, this kind of skills transfer, because a couple of things where, you know, it it made me think of meditation in my head where uh, there's all this kind of pressure these days of, you know, if you don't have like a five hour morning routine that sets you up perfectly to conquer your day, like you're basically a scrub which it's just like who has all this time to to and how pretentious right like uh you know because i think i can think of some really good family men that no they get up and they start serving their family as soon as their feet hit the floor they're not like well hang on i need my coffee i need my hour of meditation i need you know all this but like with meditation which god i suck at (laughs) i'm so bad at it um, but I'm sitting there and they always tell you like, okay, when, when you feel your monkey mind drifting, you know, bring it back to the breath, you know, kind of this forced uh, brain pattern interruption. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like what you're saying as far as like actually getting up and doing something. Cause when we were on your show, we touched briefly on, uh, you know, the concept of neuroplasticity, which is, you know, this emerging theory, not yet law, but this more kind of theory and an area of research of understanding neurogenesis and understanding how, oh, well, the gray matter in our neurons actually work very similarly to, well, everything in the body in regards to operating by the principle of specific adaptation and post-demand. And so, you know, it's kind of like um, Dr. Nicole does a good job talking about you know, she came from conventional psychology and now is leading kind of the holistic psychology movement because she didn't like the classic trauma model of like, well, if you're trying to transcend your trauma, why would we choose to sit and dwell in that trauma for extended periods of time? Because all that's doing is just reinforcing that neuroplastic network of, hey, you know, we're always going to be going to that place. Whereas what you're really saying, and then providing concrete next steps is, Hey, like get out of your head, go blow up a watermelon or do whatever it is that you need to do to interrupt, you know, that cycle interrupts that potentially negative downward spiral. So that way you're disrupt that pattern that no longer serves you. So then you can choose different. You can choose something that's going to serve you better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you need that interruption to then be able to have the opportunity, you're creating that opportunity for yourself to then choose something new, choose a new narrative and forge a new path. Am I on the right track with that? You freaking nailed it. Uh, and that's why that's why I'm really excited to see where our relationship goes because you um, you do a far better job of articulating you know, the science and the method behind 
my theory, which we talked about in, um, in, in the fundamentalism podcast. So for me, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to argue. And I told you this before, it's hard to argue to me. If anybody were to come to me and say, I'm having a, I'm having a time, dude, I'm having a a rough day Uh, or shit's just not working or another red light. (laughs) All the red lights hit me and only me, right? It's hard for me to believe that if in those moments that we're in our head and we're thinking about the crap that's not working, that if indeed you gravitate towards or introduce something that makes you smile, albeit as something as simple as paying a compliment a stranger or holding the door open for somebody or um, this gentleman that you should meet, Grant C. Gooding. I just had lunch with him for the first time ever. Uh, he was telling me that he attended a, a John Hopkins um, course recently. And the instructor said, uh, you know, you know, the one surefire way to create happiness in your day, like the one surefire way you're having a crap day, you want to turn it around the one surefire way to do it. And everybody's waiting on bated breath, like oh, edge of their seats. What is it? Yeah, we want to know. <laughs> and uh, he says, go up, find the tallest hill that you can and run up it for three minutes straight. Just as many times you can run up it as many. Well, everybody was so disappointed in that answer, right? Go find a hill and run up it as fast as you can, as many times as you can. Everybody's so disappointed in that answer. But think about what you're doing. When you're thinking about running up a hill and you're trying to catch your breath and you're sprinting for the first time in potentially years for so many people, and you're doing something that makes you uncomfortable. You know what you're no longer doing? Thinking of all the shit that was stressing you out to begin with. And so that serves as a brain pattern interrupt. And so to your point about um, you know, next steps and very tactical things that you could do, again, it's 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 not blowing up a watermelon. That's how it manifests in me. But you know, number 90, creating a story. You know, my wife. God bless her heart. She is absolutely amazing. She consistently tells me that she's not creative like me. Oh, I'm not as creative as dad, she'll tell the kids. That, that's just, that, that's that monkey mind, right? That's just things that we convince ourselves. Every single night before bed, our son and I, when, we, when I put him down, we alternate. I put Adeline down one night, put Brennan down the next. Every night before bed, I ask Brennan to give me three items or three things. Uh, monster trucks, uh, Brendan from the Holistic Savage, and uh, our cat Max. Perfect. I will use those three things now to tell a story, right? The, the roadmap is already there, right? I have my three items. Now I'm, just, now I'm just threading the items together with details, and I'm telling a story. That's, that's fundamental number 90. Like, make up a creative story, and I'm doing it with a four-year-old. Now, after that story's done, the four-year-old says, give me three items. And I give him three items. And he knocks it out of the park every single freaking time because he understands the expectation. He understands what and how it looks. Now, he typically uses his three things that I get him in the first sentence, so he gets out of his way, but he does it. And what that's doing is it's creating an interruption. It's creating a a pattern of thought behavior where you're reinvigorating your childlike spirit and getting back to this creative spirit of making something up because 
it's in all of us. We just convince ourselves that it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like that because, you know, it's just writing last night in my little book of ideas. I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I think as species, we are too cerebral and, um, you know, a line I like to drop is I think a lot of people are kind of uh, drunk on instant gratification and high on the American dream. <laughs> um, and, you know, something, there's a great book out there called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Definitely recommend it for anybody. Uh, but really, though, you know, I, I always like kind of just being science minded, I guess. I always like to look at history. And, and when I say history, I mean like primordial history, like the dawn of man and, you know, bacteria before that sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, so looking at, at evolution or just looking at the natural world, you know, we see animals in the wild, uh, which certainly, you know, the way that we are wired is, is to pursue survival and continuity and, and reproduction. And, you know, if, if, an organism didn't have this mechanism of desired continuity, it it would just get phased out by the endless cycle of trial and error that is Darwinistic evolution. So my point being, you know, that's, that's what I was saying on your show. Uh, What I view the ego as is kind of that mechanism of continuity. And I think in today's world of uh, abundance and modern luxury and comfort, uh, I feel like we've really disconnected from kind of our primordial roots or higher consciousness. We've kind of forgotten how to be human. We've kind of forgotten how to have fun. Because you look at animals in the wild, um, when they are not, you know, fighting or flighting from a, th- a threat, uh, when they're not in sympathetic mode, they spend the vast majority of their day-to-day life in a state of parasympathetic nerve system dominance, right? It's always kind of a teeter-totter, you know, and that's where HRV is all popular as a way to try to, you know, objectively measure that. But the point being, they they spend the majority of their time in this parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest, feed and breed, um, play, you know, having fun, the little lion cubs playing with one another, um, or they're sleeping, or they're hanging out, or they're, you know, reproducing or whatever they're doing. Whereas like humans, obviously, uh, in modern times, we spend so much of our day-to-day lives in this fight or flight, stressed out, sympathetic, go, go, go. And every facet of this modern lifestyle we've created really just triggers that and expedites that. And so I, I really think, you know, fun as medicine, right? Uh, and, and something I see so much in the functional medicine space that I try to bring awareness to is we're seeing this kind of increasing orthorexic inducing uh, tendencies where in a lot of ways, you know, functional medicine with all the fancy labs or supplements or whatever, it can make it very easy to uh, shift the focus on something external to self. Like it's, you know, I'm not unhealthy and miserable because of anything I'm doing. It's because, you know, this piece of paper says I'm gluten intolerant, I've got a stealth infection, I've got toxicity, whatever it is. And that's where, you know, I, I really find that sometimes the biggest thing holding people back from healing, it's not because, oh, their practitioner missed something or wasn't a good enough metabolic detective or the, the protocol wasn't fancy enough, there weren't enough supplements. And it has everything to do with the chosen belief system, the chosen perspective, 
Um, and being able to tap back into parasympathetic dominance, which, you know, that's a lot of jargon and scientific words, but what are we saying? We're saying be human, have fun, yeah. embrace the human experience a little bit more, you know, laugh, go splash around in the ocean, do whatever it is. So I think what you're doing, your, your movement that you're leading is, is so crucial right now at this, uh, at this point in time. And I liked on your website. I saw you did have a uh, statistic about, you know, um, mental health or mental illness really kind of declining. I think it was like 13% in the past decade or something like that. And obviously, as you know, that's very uh, near and dear to my heart. So that's all to say, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of the story of the man, you know, behind the bow tie of like, how did this all start? Like, obviously, you have been through a hell of a personal introspective journey that inspired this movement I, i'm gonna gotta ask you to be a little vulnerable and share oh, some man. of that with us it's one of my favorite fundamentals uh so first of all thank you for the opportunity and i couldn't help but listen to everything that you were talking about and the perspective or narrative that we convince ourselves right that i i'm paraphrasing of course and uh and run a parallel or equate that back to a gentleman once telling me that he sucks at meditation. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's paying attention. Damn it. Um, why do you say you suck at meditation, bro? You know, my, my, my meditation is Shinrin Yoku dog. You, you, what you know about that Shinrin Yoku? <laughs> I know Jack shit. Yeah, about that. I don't know anything about that. It's that forest bathing dog. So I like to, I like to go walk through the woods. That's my walking meditation. Get, get that Shinrin Yoku. Check it out. What? And so why do you say you suck at, so I, so remove the technique. What is meditation for you? What is meditation defined as? What's its intent? You know, that's, that's a great prompt question. Yeah, I mean, if we define meditation as you're supposed to sit there in stillness and silence, I suck at that shit. But if we're talking like it is an introspective journey within to explore oneself and one's psyche and one's consciousness and expand that shit, mm. well, damn, like I'm, I'm pretty good at that, you know? So who defines meditation? We do. So I would argue that, to your point, you're pretty damn great at it. You know, I, I always thought I sucked at meditation. I suck at sitting still. Patience is not one of my most significantly strong uh, traits. Um, but man, like, I, I'm pretty decent at being introspective. Like, I used to think that meditation was shutting this off, right? Until somebody said, no, man, it's embracing that stuff. Like, it's embracing those thoughts, acknowledging them, and then moving on to something different. And that's like, that's fundamentalism to me. Like, I feel like a lot of folks think that whenever I talk about gravitating towards the things that lift you up and getting yourself out of your head, that I'm saying don't address problem areas, don't address challenges, don't, don't grieve. Like, quite to the contrary, I'm not saying any of that at all. I'm saying... You have to acknowledge these things. You have to be introspective. You have to understand why you are where you are, which we're going to get into in terms of, of my journey um, based on your question. I promise I'll get to it. Um, but in order to grow and to be the person that you aspire to be, whatever that is, if you've set goals or, or, or express value to this earth, 
you have to understand um, some of the challenges and learn from them as a result. So I'm never saying don't grieve or don't address challenges or don't think about them. What I'm saying is the difference between a victim and a victor's mentality is short-term memory. Like address that stuff, be introspective, ask yourself the difficult questions. How did I get here? What would I do differently? What did I do right? Because we rarely ever ask that question. And how could I grow accordingly? And then move on. Because, you know, the more that we dwell, and one of the things that we commonly dwell on is death, right? The passing of loved ones. You think these individuals that have passed would want us to continuously have our lives impacted and our thoughts um, just completely taken up, our headspace taken up by by heartache and the thoughts of these individuals that are no longer with us? Hell no. They want, if they truly meant something to you in your life, then they would want you to be happy and they would want you to live your life and be fulfilled. And, and so for me, when you ask me, how did I get here, man, it, it's been a lot of stumbles. Uh, it's been, it's been a lot of, uh, of trial by error. Uh, I can honestly say that, you know, I, I haven't had a ton of terrible things that have happened to me. Um, you and I had a really deep discussion about your journey and, and mental health and all that stuff. I could say I've been knocked down. I mean, I, you know, there was a time for several years that Melissa, my wife and I, we were operating in the red and living off credit cards. And I had $40,000 in credit card debt. Uh, prior to that, I was in a corporate America job where I was making a, a shit ton of money, uh, had baller benefits, was set up for life, man. Like if I would have rode that out, um, I mean, I, I, there's not a doubt in my mind that I would have been an executive VP. Uh, like I just, I 100% know that that was going to be an outcome, but at what cost? Like I saw so many other, there's others that went down that path and you know, they're, they, they're unhappy when they're alone or they're not with their children as much, or, you know, they're constantly wearing the burden of uh, an organization that truth be told, doesn't give a fuck about you. Like, excuse my language, but we work so hard to, to express our value, to showcase our value and to help lift up an organization. When that organization looks back in the, in the annals of history, as Jackie Moon once said, um, you'll be a blip on the radar. They'll probably not even, they, they won't talk about you in a hundred years. They're not going to talk about the relevance that you had or created in the organization's core values or whatever it may be, unless you're the founder or unless you came up with something just monumental that shifted the way that they do business. I mean, you're working so hard for an organization that will replace you like that when they can, when they could cut costs, when they could improve their bottom line. So, so why is it do we sacrifice all of those things um, in our own in our own happiness, rather, and our family stuff for an organization? Like, be fulfilled. So, my journey is just riddled with opportunities that I've had and experiences that I've that I've lived through that have helped me identify. I'm throwing a lot of energy into this right now. That's not providing a whole lot of return. And I'll give you a very vulnerable and specific example, Brendan. Um, many folks that have heard me talk uh, either on the podcast or, or uh, maybe on stage or someplace like that, they know about my father and his battle with opioids and whatever it may be. 
And, and they may get the idea that we didn't have the best relationships, which isn't necessarily the case. It was just the relationship couldn't be what I wanted it to be because there were so many things that were in the way, right? Mm -hmm. Things that, that I couldn't control, uh, battling addiction, um, you know, being poor, uh, things that as a child and even as, as an adolescent and, and, you know, young man, I couldn't help my dad through. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that. Right. But you know this better than anybody until you make that decision that you want to change your life and you wake up, you know, incubated or in a coma after a coma. And you realize, uh, a decision that you made that could significantly alter the, the, the course of your life. These things, there's so much outside of our control. And so my father, I used to throw a lot of energy into wanting to change him and wanting to change his mindset and helping him. And I couldn't, uh, and you can't either like anybody listening to this, you cannot fundamentally change other individuals. You can create moments of self-discovery. You can ask them the right questions to get them to identify that maybe change is for the better. But at the end of the day, we have to make the decision to change. And a gentleman by the name of Kyle Haven that I introduced you to recently at the gym was actually on the Fundamism podcast talking about his, his, uh, his battle with uh, alcoholism. And he said, dude, people tried. They tried so many times. They had interventions. My wife said she was going to leave me. She did leave me twice. He was like, nobody could get me to make a decision to quit alcohol but me. So I'm giving you a very long answer to your question about my journey. Whether it was me trying to get an organization to understand my value or me trying to get my father to understand my value and get him to understand his value in himself or me trying to justify why I am on this planet, my journey is just riddled with all these self-discovery questions where I had to realize, man, the answer is, is in my heart. And it's, mm -hmm. it's in the back of my head, like not in my head, but rather living life to the fullest and creating moments of joy, not just for myself, but in the lives of others. And so here we are years later with uh, a better understanding of what fundamentalism is and uh, potentially a brand that could help individuals get out of their head and create more joy, fun, and fulfillment in their lives. Man. Can I answer a question? I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I would say so. It's 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 a beautiful thing to you know hear kind of the backside of the the genesis of um, fundamentalism as a, an emerging philosophy, shall we say? Um, and I love it because you know I think today, uh, it, especially this year, holy cow! It's it's been a very uh, tumultuous year. A lot of kind of heavy. And so it kind of brings us back what to happened? I don't what are you what are you referencing? <laughs> oh, he's even got a sound deck. <laughs> it it's, no, you're good. You're good. It's you know, it, it's choosing our reality, right? Choosing our perspective. And uh probably within the next few days, I was gonna post one of my little savagery quotes as I always do, and say, you know, step one of healing is to transcend the victim mentality which we um, discussed a little bit as far as like, you know, kind of like you're uh, drowning, choosing to drown in two feet of water. Yeah. Um, 
I love how you said, you know, uh, victim or victor, right? Like that, that combination of words, I just obviously love. It's, it's so perfect. And, um, it's kind of like, uh, one of my other good friends, Brandy, she always said, uh, break, break down or break through. It's your choice. And I'm just like, oh, that's so good. Right. And same thing with this of, you know, victim or victor, it's, it's, it's your choice. Oh, in, in fine prints. Chapter one. The reason why it resonates, dude, is because you and I were basically the same dude. I mean, the reason why I'm showing you this, Brendan, and for those of you listening, uh, chapter one of the Fundamism book, um, chapter one is arriving at fun's front door. And the second paragraph is literally titled victim or victor and the choice. And you just mentioned like, we don't believe it because again, we feed our own narrative and you know, you see so much shit and you wallow in it and you don't believe that there is anything else out there. Great. And so you say, dude, it's easy for you to say, Brendan, that I have a choice, but you don't understand. You've never lived my life. You've never seen what I've seen. And what I found, dude, is there are so many people on this planet and Americans specifically. I don't know why the hell we think that we got it so freaking bad. There's so many individuals on this planet that have it far worse than anybody listening to this podcast right now can ever begin to understand or feel. And they're handling it so much better. It's a choice, man. I mean, there's definitively some DNA stuff. And this is where you're an expert and I'm not. And I, I do. I, I want to try to figure out a way to, to create a, um, a documentary or something physical that somebody could see where I don't know if, if it's going to expose my truth or not or expose other people's truths. But I do believe that the more that we expose ourselves to awesomeness and positivity and the right people and uh, being grateful in our day, I think despite what many of you may feel, I think that we can potentially move ourselves forward. Could we solve for mental health altogether? I don't know, man. Like there's obviously some DNA things that go into that, but could you make your day a little bit better? Could you be more of a victor than a victim? I am convinced that the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think part of it too, you know, is, is embracing the, the, the full spectrum, the full frequency of the human experience. Uh, you know, how could you possibly appreciate a sunrise without sitting through a thunderstorm or two, right? So it, it, it's a beautiful journey and to feel the heart-wrenching lows and the euphoric highs. Um, it's everything in between, and that's what makes life so amazing. And, I, you know, I will just say, which I think a lot of my listeners are probably, you know, pretty, pretty solid on, but uh, as I was saying on your show, I always like to kind of draw that line right down the middle when we're talking about mental health, because it can get very disorienting and confusing of where to begin and whatnot. And so I really like to split it down the middle of like, okay, we've got the physiological, biochemical, metabolic side, because look, like if you're gluten intolerant and you don't know it and you're eating gluten three times a day every day, uh, meanwhile, you're like, no, just, okay, uh, brain pattern interruption, I'm going to go do something fun. 
hey, you, you literally have biochemical neuroinflammation yeah. going on, so you're screwed, and it's an uphill battle. Yes. Um, but as I'm kind of saying, more in the functional medicine space, we see that flipped around where people are digging deep into their physiology with all the testing under the sun, and that's still not doing it because they're totally overlooking the um, the psychological and, and perspective component. And, you know, so it is. It's It's that choice of what kind of reality – uh, do you want to experience? And, you know, you're saying about Americans, which oh, I've got a lot of opinions on on all of that. <laughs> and it is certainly all all perspective. And there is a lot of kind of evolutionary science and, and hard wiring that plays into that. But man, you know, sometimes, it, it, again, that's kind of where what I was saying about uh, drunk on instant gratification, high on the American dream is is just the American culture that we've created is so ego seductive, which mm. kind of going back to my theory on what ego is, which is this, you know, uh, perpetually hungry and thirsty side of us. It always wants more like the ego's never satisfied, like you know, and you, like, as you and I both know, with being virtual entrepreneurs and having an online following, is there ever enough likes on your post or enough swipe ups or enough? Like, it's never enough because, you know, our, our sense of self, our sense of security of our business um, prospering and everything is directly correlated with, you know, these numbers, it never stops. And so, you know, we look at, yeah, third world countries, people living in the dirt, and yet they're happy and whatnot. And so I think Americans are, to kind of jump to the punchline, I think Americans are the most disconnected population of humans on the planet, disconnected from the realm of truth, the fifth dimension of unconditional love, the, um, you know, eudaimonic pursuit of self-actualization. Uh, and I think it is because we are just really drowning in ourselves, drowning in this culture that we've created. And what's crazy is, you know, Americans in particular, we're so disconnected from self, so disconnected from the realm of truth and uh, the collective consciousness that we're all connected, well, should be connected to, but it's like Wi-Fi, you got to tap into that. But I think we're so disconnected that now it's like, you know, we need, uh, well, where's the evidence to support that? And the funny thing is, you know, the deeper you dig into the scientific literature, there is scientific literature and evidence that validates and shows, well, humans need a sense of purpose and a sense of community to be biologically healthy at the cellular level. And being a big, like, microbiology weirdo, uh, microbiology is really interesting because, you know, we're studying bacteria and fungi, which, you know, now with all the obsession over the microbiome, that's great. But my point being humans are very, very similar to microbes. And, and dare I say, I think humans are a little bit of a microbial infection on this planet. We're the only species that is destructive to the planet. That sucks. I know. I know. I would love to be called fungi. <laughs> I think you're a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to drop that line for so long too, but see, I can't write that in an Instagram post because it's like, well, it's spelled different, so it has to be dropped verbally. So <laughs> I think the microbes, yeah, one hundred percent. I'm following you. I think you're a fun guy, and um, 
you know, so with, with fungi and, and bacteria and, you know, we've got the virome, we've got the bacterium, the mycobiome, AKA all of these things combined into the microbiome, which disturbances to the microbiome have been linked uh, to literally every chronic disease you could, you could think of. But my point being, when you look at microbes, they operate together. There are infinite and we, we, our understanding of the microbiome is very much in its infancy, despite the copious amounts of research going into it. But the point being, you know, microbes work together for the good of the collective. You know, microbes are not individuals. You know, you're not going to have a single, uh, a single um, bifidobacterium cell and a single, uh, you know, Saccharomyces fungi cell. And they're just like looking out for themselves and like, oh, well, what do I want to do? What do I want to experience in this you know, host of a body. No, they're using what's called quorum sensing to communicate and operate as a collective. And so my point being, humans are really not different than microbes. And we have to be working together, working for one another, for the good of the collective, right? The the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And so I really think in especially modern American culture, we are so disconnected from that. And it's all about the individual, um, such as I'll go there, such as like in some of my dating attempts, there's Let's kind of, go. There's kind of this <laughs> we're going in. <laughs> Notice I say attempts, right? I did hear that <laughs> because, you know, I've been finding this, this new theme with, you know, young millennial dating attempts where it's all about the self. It's like, well, I want to be upfront with you. I'm only willing to X, Y, Z. Here's my rules. Here's my boundaries. This is the only way that I will date or engage in some sort of, you know, courting uh, escapade or whatever it is. And, you know, then what I hear is like, me, 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 my rules, my terms, my conditions. And it's like, since Mm -hmm. when, why, why do we Americans think it is all about us? And, And when I say us, not talking about us, the collective, I'm talking about the individual, because from a biological standpoint, we are not wired to operate that way. And I truly believe that when we are disharmonious with the, uh, (laughs) the collective mindset, that's when the unhappiness and the sense of suffering really starts creeping in. What's interesting about what you're saying, so I name dropped that Grant Gooding that I had lunch with today we were talking somewhat about this and he talked about that he has a theory um, regarding the decline of, of society, like, and, and understands the day that it happened. And he was like, you know, the, 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 the pinnacle of society was the day before the internet was invented. And, you know, it was supposed to make us more connected, but it did quite the opposite, right? I mean, there's, there's good that can come with it, right? You and I wouldn't be chatting today if we didn't have it, or at least we wouldn't be doing it over the interwebs uh, in this Zoom virtually. But um, that, that need to fill that, that ego void of likes or does he see me or the Jordans that I got or whatever it may be are a direct result of, of the number of eyes that we feel perception, right. Are on us. And the truth of the matter is the bulk of people got their own shit going on. They don't give a crap about you. You think they go home. We think they go home and they're thinking about us when in reality, they're thinking about 
how miserable their day was or what food they're going to put on their table or whatever it may be. And uh, so I'm definitely jiving with you in terms of relationships. Um, I would extend that same phenomenon, Brendan, into business uh, and, and friendships, right? Um, what's in it for me? Like, what is this partnership going to do for me in business? And that's when, when you meet somebody like yourself uh, that shows a genuine interest and is authentic and whatever, man, it sticks out like a sore thumb, which is just so sad because it seems to be, it's far more rare um, than finding individuals that are centered around that, that ego space. But I want to dive into uh, a topic a little bit with you because I thought about you this weekend um, as an extension of our last conversation and some, some of the things that you were talking about earlier where you said, I like to draw the line, right? You know, between physiological and, and all the stuff that you were talking about related to mental health. And I had a, a emotional discussion with my mother to the point where my kids, our kids, were saying, stop, ar- guys, guys, stop arguing. And we weren't arguing. Like, we were just having a passionate discussion. So I had mentioned that uh, to you before that there are individuals in my life that do suffer from depression and anxiety and, and they even take medicine, right? And so my mother mentioned one of these individuals and she said um, that this individual, like they appreciate fundamentalism and they appreciate what you're trying to do and they appreciate the concept behind gravitating towards, you know, what lifts you up as opposed to what doesn't. But... It's so much harder than you make it sound, right? It's so much more difficult. There's so much more to the story, right? There is DNA. There are things. And, and, I, and I, while I wholeheartedly agree, the passion came from we convince ourselves that because I was diagnosed with ADHD, because I was diagnosed with a mental illness, because I was diagnosed with uh, depression or anxiety and I'm on medicine, that that we don't have an outlet. Like it's, it's really justifying our narrative, right? Well, see, I told you I'm sick in the head. I, fundamentalism doesn't work for me. Now, to be clear, what you said and what you do really intrigues me in that you're a holistic guy. Like you're looking at the full spectrum of things. And that's why you have to say, I like to, I like to cut it right down the middle. For me, the bulk of the time, Brendan, I have one hour to talk to individuals uh, on a keynote stage. Yeah, I got workshops and all that stuff, but my bread and butter is really in a one-hour keynote. And my brand, fuck a brand, my concept, my philosophy is replacing this stuff that's going on in your head with something that makes you smile. I believe wholeheartedly that this is just one sliver of this larger pie, like just gravitating towards what makes you smile isn't going to solve every problem in your life. Finding a holistic approach to what you eat and um, the things that you feed yourself, uh, not just physically, but mentally. I know that there's so many more things, but, but that's, not my, that's not my jam. I, like, I leave that to folks like you. So, so my, what, my point is, I'm not saying that I take all those things for granted. I know that it takes a holistic approach. I'm just focusing on the one thing that I know that in combination with all those other things could help. So 
this is a very long runway, a very long setup to say, similar to what we talked about on the Fundamentalism podcast, what are your thoughts on, on um, anxiety and depression and, and mental illness? And even though we're cutting it down the line, like, can we solve for it? And do you feel like fundamentalism is a viable sliver of the pie in a more holistic, comprehensive approach? <clears throat> I'm loving this convo. Um, well, you know, to, to start, I, I just uh, saw one of your videos probably within the past like 48 hours. Um, and you were saying, you know, uh, yeah, kind of the the playing playing the real of kind of the more the the negative thoughts, and then disrupting that pattern and and choosing a, a more um, positive way. And in the video, the the punchline was, it is that simple, mm. you know. And and I really liked that. And and so this is obviously speaking from my own experience and my own journey, being somebody that was, um, we didn't we didn't get all the way into some of my stuff on, on your show. Um, but something I want to share on just cause it's the opportunity. I was just scrolling through Facebook the other day and, uh, you know, back in 2014, uh, there was a morning in February where I found myself, uh, waking up in the intensive care unit, breathing out of a tube with uh, a nurse standing there. And I'm, uh, like, uh, Oh, Brendan, you're awake. It's like, where am I? What's going on? Oh, you know, I'm your nurse. Been looking out for you the past few days. Like, few days? What day is it? You know, well, it's Tuesday. And last memory I had was of Saturday night. Um, and that was from an intentional overdose. I spent, through four, I think, four, three or four days in the intensive care unit, uh, stuck in a hospital bed, being basically my whole body pumped full of fluids to flush everything out. Um, my liver, you know, was, was damaged quite a bit from the overdose, which I did end up <laughs> years down the road. I managed to find my medical records and was able to find uh, a copy of some blood work that they had run uh, when I was hospitalized. My liver enzymes were in the thousands, which to put that in perspective, you know, healthy for a dude would be like less than 30 for like AST, ALT on, on a blood chem panel. And mine were in the thousands. So, um, you know, some damage was done. And after I was discharged from ICU, uh, because it was deemed a suicide attempt by the overseeing medical doctor, well, uh, they had to transfer me to a, a psychiatric ward. So I was um, hospitalized, as in locked up in a psychiatric ward. Um, it, it felt very much like boot camp, which I have been to. Um, very similar to boot camp, but instead of like this military vibe, it's like a you're crazy and something's wrong with you and we have to fix you with pills kind of vibe. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I've written about this in some of my articles. But there, there were people in there that had been in there a long time. And uh, they walk, or not walk, they shuffle through the hallway like zombies. And they were so heavily medicated on God knows what, man, um, that just all the life had lost their eyes. People would walk by them like they don't even exist. They might, might as well have already been dead. Um, and it was one of easily one of the most sobering experiences of, of my life and one I'm grateful for. 
But just the other day, I was scrolling through Facebook, and one of the girls that was hospitalized at the same time as me, we were in the same ward at the same time. I, I knew her. Uh, we were, you know, doing group therapy afterwards. You, you know, you get once you're deemed stable and <laughs> let you back into society, um, you, there's some sort of discharge plan. And for me, that involved uh, nine hours of group therapy with a social worker every week for like six weeks. Made it hard to go back to work uh, normally. But just the other day, and this is years later. That girl that was in there at the same time as me, I saw a, a cry for help on on Facebook, and I've seen a few from her over the years. And you know, she was just basically saying, like, "Hey, you know, my depression is is just really taking over my life, and I'm I'm sorry to put all my you know friends and family through this and all of that." And it really um, it really caught me there because this this is a girl that was there with me, and here we are years down the road, I'm, I'm at where I'm at and she's at where she's at. Now I'm not saying anything about her or making any assumptions. I don't know her story, but I do know mine. And so for somebody to say, well, it's not that easy. And it's like, well, it's not that simple, but it is that easy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or maybe the other way around. So no, I mean, is mental health complex? Yeah, it is. There's a lot of components. Um, but to your point uh, that you're making to your mother, yeah, actually, it it is. And um, I, I really think step one is to transcend victim mentality. Step two, uh, radical ownership. You know, you have to take ownership of your situation. And it can be a dogfight and, and a grind, um, you know, I, I, I've been at rock bottom and I've been climbing my way ever since. And now somehow I've become a figure to, to help shape this. But to answer your question more directly, yeah, I, I think there is a cure, you know, for any mental illness. And, and I, I do think holistic is the only way to go because we need a sense of purpose. We need a sense of community. We need to be serving the collective, serving others. Um, and yeah, you know, the, the, the metabolic side of it, that's where it gets complex and, you know, need, need a professional that's trained in that kind of stuff, but absolutely. And so anybody that is medicated or struggling or suffering and well, it's not that easy, Paul, you can't just, you know, swing around the samurai sword and, and, <laughs> and you know, choose to, and it's like, well, actually that might be the most valuable first step. I think it was I've the last time you swung a samurai sword. Exactly. Yeah, you clearly have never swung one. <laughs> <laughs> well, so listen, I I don't I don't want to be ignorant though, Brendan. Like I that's my challenge when talking about this subject is you know, you, you had asked me about my journey and I and I said that I really haven't in my mind been knocked down, you know, significantly in my life. But like, I don't know that that's really true. Like maybe I have, it just didn't hit me like it hits others. I mean, I got, my mom has been divorced twice and, you know, married to an alcoholic the second time. And my dad was uh, an addict and addicted to pills. And uh, we grew up poor. And I recall, you know, buying gas, $5 on pump three with a Ziploc baggie of nickels, dimes, and quarters. Uh, I 
remember wanting nothing more than my father to come to one of my basketball games. And we literally lived right across the street from the gymnasium, like right across the street, like 25 feet. All you have to do is walk out the front door. And my mom would, she would travel all the way down from the city, uh, which is what we called Overland Park uh, back in the day, coming down to Osawatomie, Kansas, 50 miles to come to my basketball games. But my dad couldn't walk 25 feet across the street. And it wasn't my dad, like it was the drugs, like it wasn't him. But my, my point being is all of these things, I say, I've never really been knocked down a peg, right? Maybe I have. And, and I, just, I just handled them differently. I know that there are chemical imbalances. I say I know that, but I believe that. I don't factually know that. I just know that individuals like you are far more intelligent than me, uh, have the scientific data to prove that. But my mom brought up an individual in our family that has schizophrenia, like diagnosed with schizophrenia. And that's obviously an extreme. And she said, you know, this individual has to be on medicine or else, you know, the voices in his head are telling him to shoot up, you know, whatever it may be. That's where's the line drawn, right? Like does fundamentalism work with somebody that has schizophrenia? I don't know the answer to that question. Far, a far more, a far less advanced case of schizophrenia, somebody that literally is just in their head nonstop questioning their worth and their value and depressed all the time and trying to figure out what their purpose is in life and all of that stuff and diagnosed with depression or anxiety. Is that something that can be solved for? Like, I don't know. I constantly struggle with that. But what I'm certain of, 100% certain, again, just to come circle back around to what we said earlier, I am certain that for me, it is inarguable that when you're dealing with whatever that crap is, that if you go hang out with a friend that makes you smile, if you watch a comedy special, if you slang the hell out of that samurai sword, or you go blow up an M80, like for one reason or the other, that crap that you're thinking about is mitigated. I understand it's a holistic approach, but I don't believe anybody can argue to me that when you're doing things that make you smile, the stuff that doesn't isn't as prevalent in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really couldn't agree more. So certainly I don't want to take up all of your time on birthday day, but I do want to circle back um, as we start wrapping up. Uh, you, you mentioned the skills transfer because I know, you know, you really thrive with uh, keynote speaking in front of tons of people, um, whether it's more of kind of a self-development or also related to sales and, you know, being able to relate to your customer and whatnot. And I, I watched some of your videos, which were uh, amazing. And, you know, you were really um, like giving the customer a chance to be heard and, and express something that they're passionate about and being able to re- relate to them on that level. And so I love what you're doing of what you're doing is connecting people and, and connecting people with love, which, you know, I, I really believe love is, Kind of always, it's it's the highest frequency, right? It's uh, at the end of the day, almost like the only thing that's truly worth living for, and, and sharing love, spreading love, living in a state of love. And so you're connecting people through that. And so you know we're talking, we're covering a lot of ground, a lot of big, you know, moving things. So when you say skills transfer, 
uh, kind of that skills transfer process. What do you mean with that? And, you know, w- with somebody like, sure, somebody can can hear me talk or hear you talk um, and be inspired for that hour and maybe even feel inspired for the rest of the day or the rest of the week or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, then after that ecstasy and euphoria fades, you know, then what? And I think that's really where that integration comes in. So I'd love to hear you kind of speak to that of how you then kind of bring that um, that inspiration and, and bring that enlightenment and how to begin transferring those skills and integrating it. Well, th- this is a subject that's, um, it's a subject that means a lot to me and that in our space, consulting, keynoting, whatever it may be, there's a lot of experts, right? You and I being two of them on our respective craft or, you know, subjects. And so as experts, you get up and you talk a lot about what you know, right? Whether it's, you know, metabolic health or, you know, holistic medicine or, you know, fundamentalism or whatever it may be. And as such, that ego starts to come into play, right? And Mm -hmm. And I found that our business is very ego driven because it takes a certain kind of individual to get on stage or a certain kind of individual to command the attention in a, in a group of 50 to do a workshop or whatever it may be and to have the confidence to relay some skill and talk about you know desired outcomes, whatever it may be. My point is when you start speaking from a place of ego, the desired outcome is not about the listener. It's not about the audience and not, it's not about the participant. It's about you. It's about feeling better as a result of whatever the hell you're doing. And so I, I can't say that there's not a piece of me that feels amazing. Um, that my ego isn't, um, isn't, uh, pampered, doesn't feel good when I'm up on stage and I get the rush of seeing 500, a thousand people, you know, clap or be engaged or whatever it may be. Obviously that feels amazing. But what drives me even more is when folks reach out as a result of our time together and they say, dude, you got me to re-record my voicemail message and change the way that I interact with my customers. And I say, well, what, tell me more, like what specifically? But when you, when you introduce that fundamental, a new spin, and you didn't just talk about it, but you showed us how to do it, it got me thinking, like, what if I were to do this a little bit differently? And then you gave us time to come up with our own in a, in a, in a safe space. So you didn't just talk about it and show, it, show us what it looked like. You actually gave us time and a safe space to think about it and to ideate, to figure out what it looks like in our lives. And since then, I got a leadership team that's observed me and has, has, has showered me with appreciation and, and potentially even opportunity or gaps you know, when, when necessary. And I feel like I have a better understanding now of not just what needs to be done, but how to do it and how to grow accordingly. What I just said in a roundabout way is a five-step successful skills transfer process. You explain what the outcome and expectation is, right? And explain how to do it. So 
case in point. You know, you said that you watched my videos and you talked about sales and all that stuff. And one of the things that I've long challenged myself with is who's my target audience? Like people always ask you, who are you marketing? Is it sales team? Is it leadership team? Dude, you could give me any organization. You could give me any function. You can give me any title. And in 10 minutes, I could develop a whole program associated with the acronym of F-U-N-N. I was talking to a guy recently, used to play for the Chiefs as a lineman. And uh, he, what could you do? What could you do with football? Well, if you think about fun, so what kind of team are we? If you think about our foundation, what kind of a team are we? Are we a run first team? We're heavily run focused, right? So as a result, a lot of our packages are based heavily on two tight end sets, on uh, leveraging our strengths and bringing the wide receivers into block understanding that we're not going to throw for 300, 400, 500 yards a game. We got to stick to our game plan. We got to know our strengths. We got to lean heavily on our running game because that's our foundation. Now we start game planning. We go on to the U, understanding others' perspectives. We're, we're playing the Ravens. Well, what are they? How, what do they do? They stack the box. They're heavily dependent on their defense. They got, all, they got strong safeties, and they got really good cornerbacks. So their strength is in defending the pass, but they're kind of suspect on the run. And so what we need to do is identify where those gaps are, where their weaknesses are, and understanding their strengths and opportunity gaps so we could showcase our foundation. Well, let's move on to the end. The next steps, let's build our game plan. Dude, I could do that with any freaking thing. Personal trainer, uh, holistic medicine approach. You give me something and I could do it. But I don't just talk about it. What I do is I explain what it is and why it's important and how to do it. Explain, first step. Then I demonstrate what it looks like. I just demonstrated for you. Like I just demonstrated how I do it. Then I allow you time to practice with a little bit of coaching in a safe environment. That's the third step. So first step, explain. Second step, demonstrate. Third step, practice with a little bit of coaching. Fourth step is observe. Go out and observe in the game setting. Now you're out there in your personal training. Now you're out there and you're implementing the game plan in the NFL. Now you're out there in your, in your, in your sales force and you're actually cold calling and, and, and going door to door and doing all that stuff. What does it look like? And then lastly, so the fourth step is observed. Lastly, the fifth step, provide feedback. Check in. How are we doing? If I think back to my desired outcome, what it was and how we get there, how, how close to hitting the mark am I? What am I doing well and what could I potentially grow from? So if we do this five-step process, explain, demonstrate, practice with coaching, uh, observe and provide feedback, then the probability of success goes up in anything that we do, Brennan. So that is the philosophy that I take to anything that I'm doing, whether it's teaching my kid how to read or going out and doing a keynote. The reason why I feel like I have been somewhat successful in my space is because it's not a do what I say, not as I do. I model consistently the things that I'm trying to get others to incorporate in their life. That's beautiful. And, and, you know, as an educator myself, you know, I'm going to have to take some notes and, and kind of, okay, like, because I literally, I'm like, do I do that when I'm teaching a workshop? Do I do a good job of da, 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 da? Um, that was Hey, guys, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you all so much for listening to the Holistic Savage podcast. 
We on the Holistic Savage team all really appreciate you and want to stay connected with you. So please rate, review, and subscribe to help the podcast grow. And if you like the podcast, help get the word out. And now back to the show. It was really well done. Really well done. Where do you think people, where do you think leaders or speakers or anybody in society, where do you think we falter regularly of those five steps? So if you think about you think about explain, you think about demonstrate, practice with coaching, observe, and provide feedback. What do we what do we do? Mm. Well, and where do we struggle? I think well, if anything, we over explain. Mm. You know, I, I think a lot of people they they just explain until everybody's sick of it. Um, providing feedback is an art. That could be honed by many, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I think practice with coaching, at least in my experience, seems to be kind of the missing gap where, you know, are we always creating that safe space for people to practice without a, you know, judgmental sort of, um, you know, it needs to be that safe space to cultivate those skills and practice it, right? So yeah. that would be probably my thought on that. Are you looking, you're looking at me for the correct answer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm like, is there, is there a secret answer here? I mean, I would agree with you. I, I mean, I think uh, allowing people to practice in a safe space is obviously uh, something that we struggle to, and we make up excuses as to why, Oh, we don't have enough time. Uh, our regularly scheduled one-on-ones have been canceled due to the coronavirus, or, you know, whatever it may be. I would say that definitively practice with coaching. We typically don't afford enough time to, uh, or allocate enough time to, but the demonstration phase, I feel like equally, um, as, as important that we really struggle in. And I'll give you a very real example. Let's take, let's take sales for example. So what do we do? We explain, right? So Brendan, thank you for coming in. We appreciate having you. Um, here's the expectation. We need you to make at least 50 cold calls per day. Here's your lead list. Of those 50 calls, we hope that you close five of them or at least create some really engaging conversation. So ultimately, understand the expectation is, right? 50 cold calls. Here's your list. We want you to close at least five. Do you have any questions for me? All right. So we understand. Like if you don't make the 50 calls, then we're in trouble, right? Oh, yeah, I got it. I understand what needs to be done. Well, there were so many gaps. So you're right. We over-explain, but oftentimes we're over-explaining the wrong things. We're not even level-setting expectations and what specifically needs to be done. We're filling the gaps with what we think people don't know, as opposed to giving them the opportunity to say, what don't you know and how could I help assist you? Then take that to the next step and say, all right, welcome, Brendan. First day, the expectation is 50 calls. We close at least five. Here's how we're going to do it. First of all, why do customers buy, dude? Are they buying your product? No. Who are they buying, Brendan? They're buying you. Well, if they're buying you, Brendan, what are you offering them? Why would I buy you? What am I doing? I'm creating moments where you're now self-discovering and you're now articulating your value to me. It's not me telling you what my expectation of you is. It's you telling me what your expectation is of yourself. Mm -hmm. Brendan, what I heard you say, dude, is if you connect with your heart, if you connect at a deeper level and you show a genuine interest and you're authentic, then maybe just maybe the probability of people buying from you goes up. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. You said it. I didn't, brother. Now I'm going to show you how to incorporate that. So if I make my first phone call, my first cold call, 
I'm going to play this out. Here's how it goes. Boom, boom, boom. Then I demonstrate it, right? Now, Brendan, I'm not going to feed you to the wolves, brother. Nobody could be you better than you. You said that you're authentic. You said you lead with your heart. You said that if you show a genuine interest in others, then the probability of people, people buying your product will go up. I just showed you how I would potentially do it. But how would you do it now? Like, safe space, dude. I'm not going to feed you to the lions. Just you and I. I'm your customer. Talk to me. What do you got? Right? And then now, now we're off to the races, brother. Now we have a strong understanding of what expectations are. There's no gaps because not only have you told me why it's important in your own words, you've told me your value. I've showed you what it might potentially look like. You validated to me in doing it that you understand what it looks like. And if you didn't, I gave you some coaching to get you to a place where you could. Well, now we go out to the game. Now I'm observing you. Now we're consistently working with one another and I'm providing you feedback on a regular basis. Dude, if we all did that in society and no matter what we did, think about mm-hmm. how great America or anything else could potentially be as a result. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Man, this is, uh, it, it's always such a pleasure talking to you because, it, and it's more and more looking like we might have to make a documentary. So we might have to. <laughs> I'm about it. I got the investor. We're, we're good. Yeah. Well, I, uh, maybe if I ask Audrey real nice, she might help out with some recording and stuff. <laughs> um, but man, honestly, it, you know, it, it goes both ways. Um, you know, I, I definitely wish I had uh, connected with you sooner, but you know, I, things happen as they happen. Nature does what nature does. And it's definitely uh, a, uh, a magnetic vibe tracks your tribe thing. So it's honestly such a pleasure and honor. And the fact that you took time out of your uh, birthday to come hang out with us. But um, man, I just, I'm so inspired by what you're doing, the fundamentalism movement, all it stands for. It's a very impressive methodology that you've really sculpted out of your own human experience. Well, likewise, brother, uh, the bro flow is real. And, uh, you know, I, I told you this before. I even told Kyle this, like the way that you articulate your thoughts and specifically tie um, things that everybody can relate to back to something factual or scientific. Uh, obviously, you said that's where you thrive. It forces people to think. And so, like, it's it's just really refreshing when you say you appreciate what I'm doing. I got so inspired and I told you this on mine, like on my podcast that when I met you and John McGraw and you guys started talking about this stuff, like, dude, I get so amped up and geek, like, there's no place I'd rather be on my birthday because I, uh, through your help and what you guys are saying are enabling me to take fundamentalism uh, to the next step to identify how to level up and help people and be even more impactful in their lives as opposed to just talking theory. So um, listen, this is not ending here, my friend. Uh, we got some things to accomplish and, uh, we got a whole lot of folks to, to try to help. And, uh, mm. by trying to help, I'm not saying give them the answers, but at least being with them in their journey and helping them to self-discover what the answers are for themselves. So thanks brother for the platform. Absolutely, man. I think this is just the beginning. So certainly an amazing convo. I hope to all the listeners, it was fun and educational and enlightening, made you smile and laugh once or twice. Be sure to check out Fundamism. I know you've got an amazing book with all these rules and and, and lessons in there that um, are so wise. So absolute pleasure. I hope you have a 
Uh, amazing birthday, my friend. Uh, it's such an honor, and I'm sure I'll catch you at the gym probably, probably like tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> one of these t-shirts or one of these I, tank tops, bro. I do need one of those tank tops. I, uh, I'm a little – so somebody commented in closing to me yesterday um, that I am the exact opposite of them. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, when I come to the gym, I get so hot that I like to wear the least amount of clothes as possible. And here you are with a sweatshirt, a t-shirt, joggers, uh, tall socks, whatever clothing you could find is on you. (laughs) And I said, yep, that's part of the game, man. I don't give a shit what everybody thinks of me. I'm just up here to get a sweat going, be in my vibe, get my fundamentalism space and get out of my head. So you effectively gave me that opportunity today. I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the flip side, my friend. That sounds good, man. Have an awesome birthday. We'll talk soon. Thanks, homie. Appreciate it. That's good, man. <laughs> oh, oh, we're doing we're doing beaters. I didn't know we were doing beaters. I gotta go change. You know, this is your birthday present. Just waiting. Oh, on that. Oh. <laughs> this exact one too. It's got a little bit of my sweat kind of stained oh, yeah. into it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think I smell the man musk. You know, it's it's a savage musk. You know, bottle that. That's a new business model waiting to explode. It's <laughs> <laughs> what my business partner keeps telling me. Yeah, I, tell me more about your business partner. I didn't know this. Is this the lady? No, she's probably your scheduling agent. You know, she's the one. She's she's my better half. Lives in oh. uh, Arizona with her husband and her dog, uh, and she does all the behind the scenes. Kind of the equivalent of your wife. Yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I need to do a better job of utilizing her. You know, I feel like sometimes it takes as much time for me to tell her what needs to be done than it does for just me to do it. But then side note, I still got to work up the mindset to do it too. So that is something, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. feel like I'm finding my stride today, Junior. <laughs> yeah, I think you're doing all right, man. Well, uh, shoot, man, it's your birthday, I see. We're just turning up, having a good time. Holistic savagery. Yeah, no better. You know, I was saying about that. No better, no better way to spend your birthday than uh, spreading your message and your truth and living your purpose. You know, and eating dark chocolate almonds. That's a good way to go too. Are these healthy? I don't know. Is this is this in the lifestyle? Somewhere in the middle. (laughs) I subscribe to uh, balance. Everything in balance. Yeah, I feel you, man. Uh, okay. So, I mean, we've already been recording cause I always like to catch any good juicy nuggets that organically like happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, uh, do you know Audrey Wilson? She works out lifetime a little bit. Alpha. I don't know. Maybe not. The name sounds familiar. Tell me more. She's, uh, she used to, I think she's been away a little bit, but she used to do alpha a lot with Adam Benegas and, uh, um, redheaded girl. And she, um, has her own podcast that she used to record at Lifetime Linux. Yes, I do know her. Thicker okay. chick. She used to do like Olympic Olympic lifting or something like that. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. So I she am- produces uh, my podcast for me. You know, she 
had oh, me on well, hers. Oh, you need to cut that part out. Like when I say thicker, I mean muscular. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> I'm sure she won't cut you now. <laughs> no, I'm familiar. She's a beast. I mean, I used to see her throwing around that weight uh, regularly. I haven't seen her any so much anymore. Yeah, I just spent like four hours with her on Sunday as she was following me around taking my picture. But uh, she uh, somehow I managed to talk her into basically handling my podcast for me. So I just get to have cool conversations like this and she does all the magic. Love it. Nice yeah. I outsource mine, just the audio to a dude overseas. 20 bucks an episode. Uh, yeah. He tightens up the audio. Then I uh, post it to something called Simplecast and uh, I got a video team. Uh, not my team, but a team that I outsource to, and they gather clips and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stay in your lane, man. That's what I'm trying to do. It sounds yeah. like you are as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, very good, man. Um, any? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm um, ready to rock. I, I did a little homework and everything. We're just gonna have good organic uh, bro flow. But any uh, questions for me though before we get get going? No, dude. I like I like to take take things as they happen. I did an interview the other day, and this uh, intern was like, "Hey, um, so and so told me to prep you for the interview, and so these are the types of questions." I said, "Don't tell me. I just I prefer you're going to get the most authentic answer out of me when I don't have time to think about it." And yeah, I feel like you know sometimes things could be so contrived if you put too much thought into it. So totally, totally. Let's get it. Let's do it. And I also, uh, I do a, a tasteful amount of profanity, so don't don't worry about it. Uh, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, because that's always a thing. Like, you get on somebody's podcast and you're like, oh, I'm not sure how to filter. What? Do we not do it? Yeah, I've kind of like, unless people explicitly ask me, I don't really say much about it. And so then they're like, I think you like stumbled over one. And I was like, dude, let it go. Yeah. Um, the big deal is just putting in whether it's explicit or not on the actual, you know, mm -hmm. app. Mm -hmm. And so if indeed somebody, I did tell one chick one time, um, listen, this is, this is PG 13. So feel free to cuss, but also know that this is just a free flowing conversation. It's organic. I don't do a lot of editing. So whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. She goes, well, what if I mess up? And I'm like, what would you mess up? We're just having a conversation. So we're having our conversation, but then she, she messes up uh, something she can't think of. And so all of a sudden she's like, we'll edit that out later. And I go, no, 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 this is, this is awesome. Like, I love it. You're, you're revealing your true self. So she, she just says the worst things possible, known to man, things that you would never say out loud, knowing that I would have to edit them out and restart the podcast. So that's what we did. Solid enough. Whatever dirty. works. It's dirty. Cool. Dirty like the stash. Let's go. <clears throat> Any second now. Any second now. I look like a hairy wildebeest. There he is. There he is. Oh, man. Can't even feel my face.